Hi everyone, welcome to the Brown Woman Health Podcast. I'm Priya, a third-year pharmacy student and an intern with Brown Woman Health, and I'm joined by my co-anchor, Tanushree, today. Hello Priya, it's great to be here with you again, and today we have a very important topic to discuss, which is pelvic health and the role of physical therapy in sexual wellness. Yes, Tanushree, we're thrilled to have Dr. Mukta Chahan, a doctor of physical therapy, with us today. She is an expert in this field and will be sharing her insights and knowledge with us. That's right, Priya. Dr. Chauhan will be answering some important questions for our listeners, including what are some common signs of pelvic floor dysfunction, what are some common disorders or conditions of the pelvic floor, and how a pelvic PT can help someone have a better sex life. And I think it's also important to note that not only gynecologists work in sexual health, physical therapy can play a very crucial role in improving pelvic health and sexual wellness, especially for South Asian women. Absolutely, Tanishree. And now let's dive into today's episode, Should I Consider a Pelvic Health Therapist or a Gynecologist? with Dr. Mukta Chahan, a doctor of physical therapy. So, Dr. Chahan, can you explain a little bit about what your exact job title and credentials are and how long have you been practicing in your field? Yes, Priya, and thank you for having me here today. I'm very excited to be talking about my most um, you know, favorite topic of all, and I'm really passionate mm-hmm. to talk about pelvic health. So uh, my credentials, I'm a pelvic health physical therapist, and I am a double board certified in orthopedics and women's health by American Physical Therapy Association. Great. And how long have you been practicing in your field? Yeah, so I have been practicing uh, for about 14 years and practicing women's health for about seven or eight years. So um, I'm sure you, you probably get this question a lot, but what is the difference between a like pelvic health, you know, kind of therapist versus like a gynecologist? Yes. Uh, So a gynecologist is an MD. They are medical doctors and physical therapists, PTs who are working especially in the pelvic health world. Uh, They are physios who are specialized in women's health and men's health. Um, So there could be, uh, we don't, uh, I think in the US, we don't have a specialization within the doctoral program. Uh, If you want to specialize in a specific field, you actually want to practice uh, in the field for a couple of years, and then you can appear for the board certification uh, that APTA, um, you know, sponsors. So APTA is the American Physical Therapy Association, and that's how you get the board certification in physical therapy. However, there are a lot of other continuous education uh, programs available through different organizations uh, that sometimes PTs, uh, you know, uh, go through even when they are an intern or a third year, uh, third or fourth year student um, in the uh, in the physical therapy school, they can pursue these continued education programs and can decide if they want to go directly into public health or not. Um, so the basic difference is basically uh, a physical therapy uh a physical therapist takes care of your muscles and joints and, uh, you know, do exercises with you and can help diagnose a lot of uh, conditions as well. And it can be a really important allied member of the multidisciplinary team. Wow. Okay. Interesting. (laughs) Thank you for explaining that. And can I just ask, so during your time, you know, in school, what made you decide that you want to be a you know, a doctor of physical therapy, that this was the right path for you? And, you know, can you talk a little bit about like, what led you to make that decision? Yeah, I mean, this is funny you ask, because it's not an earth shattering, uh, or any inspirational (laughs) story that a lot of people have. Usually, when you ask physios, they're like, oh, I had this injury or that injury. And I went to an amazing physical therapist. And that's when I decided I want to go to PT school. Nothing like that happened to me. (laughs) I was not really very active or athletic as a teenager. Uh, But just like any other South Asian family, I think we really love to be in the medical field, as you probably know. (laughs) (laughs) I just wanted to be, you know, just somehow wanted to be in the medical field or be a part of it. And um, uh, one of my cousins actually got into physical therapy school and she introduced it to me. And I was like, oh, this seems interesting. I think I can do it. 
and I applied to the school and I got in and I am glad that I didn't end up hating it. I actually, <laughs> you know, quite love it. And I think I, I'm actually very um, grateful for choosing this profession in whatever capacity or whatever, you know, uh, little understanding of the world I had a, at age 17 to decide what to do with, with the rest of my life. I'm very grateful because Physical therapy has opened up a lot of doors for me in terms of understanding my own health, uh, my own body. And uh, the more I spend time in this field, the, this understanding keeps getting better. So I'm very happy that I ultimately chose this profession. Great. <laughs> That's all we want for, you know, our doctors and our physical therapists, you know, making yes. That's That's amazing. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad to hear you were able to, because I feel like, you know, making that decision at such a young age can be a very scary thing. So I'm really glad that it worked out positively for you. Yeah. And especially as I sometimes, you know, uh, talk about the comparison, I, I grew up in India and I uh, went to school there. And I think it's um, in India, you have to kind of decide at an, at an earlier, you know, at a younger age, whether you want to do medical or, you know, you want to go towards the engineering side or arts or commerce mm -hmm. and these things you know you're barely 15 when you're deciding these things and usually it is the, the decision comes from possibly you know the influence you are getting at that age you know from mm -hmm. your parents your siblings cousins or if you have like a really wonderful teacher who inspired you to take that path so I think it's a little too early I still feel the education system in the U.S. Uh, I don't know how you guys feel but I really think that, you know, going through an undergrad uh, college degree makes, uh, gives you that more, uh, you know, fuller perspective of what you want to do and uh, later on in life. And I think starting the medical school or physical therapy school after doing undergrad, I think is, is a better choice, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think, oh, sorry. Um, I was going to say, I think as someone who like has... Um, a lot of friends in India who are like about 15, 16 and you know they're like taking their board exams and they're like oh, I'm so stressed I don't know what to do and I'm <laughs> like I can't even imagine like I've changed what I've wanted to do like so many times over the like it even yeah. changes like now so yeah. I think seeing like how young that these kids are and like having them like choose that young it yeah. really is a little bit of a gamble and I feel like that's yes. really scary because I definitely think that they should be given more time because you yeah. do not know who you are at age yeah. 15 you don't know what you want to do and I feel yeah. like that can change at any moment so I'm yeah. just really glad that it worked out very positively for you which is yes, good to hear. I'm glad too yes no that's great <laughs> you know and Actually, expanding on that, it's interesting because even though, you know, I was brought up in the U.S., I had a little bit more of an untraditional education and I did actually decide on pharmacy when I was 15. Oh, wow. And I had to and I had to take courses applying to that really early on. So, you know, looking back on it now, if I would have gone a more traditional route as far as, you know, um, the way the U.S. education system works, I don't know if I would have continued on with pharmacy, mm. but, you know, as demanding as the career is, it's also very rewarding. Very fulfilling. And, you know, yes. Yeah, very mm. fulfilling. And, you know, that patient interaction and the way you're helping people constantly and yeah. even the people you meet, your, you know, your um, co-workers and the other, you know, other people in your career who are yeah. leading you on and inspiring you. It definitely makes a difference. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And I think you you said a really interesting point here about the patient interaction. And I think that's another reason why I love my profession so much, because it really puts uh, physical therapists in a unique position because we spend a lot more time than an MD uh, with our patients. And we sometimes see them on a more, uh, you know, uh, consecutive basis. Uh, they come see us for at least six, seven visits. Uh, so we get a better understanding of a lot of things that sometimes get skipped in a 20 minute uh, doctor interaction or the doc the patient didn't think uh, this uh, medical history could be relevant to be talked to their patient, uh, to their doctor about. So I think we are in a unique position because a lot of times that's how I diagnose my patients or figure out different complex issues uh, because I'm spending a lot more time with them and uh, I keep asking questions. So uh, usually 
people think like when you see a physical therapist for the very first time and that's when you're answering all the questions and that's when the assessment is taking place but it's almost like you every time my patient is coming to see me i am doing that assessment again i am asking some relevant or more pointed questions uh with you know during each visit which kind of brings me to their core issue um you know closer and closer and you know what i think it's great that you mentioned that every visit you're learning more and you're asking more probing questions because you know on the other side the patient at every visit is probably you know trusting you a little bit more yeah. feeling a little bit more comfortable with you after spending yeah. time with you learning how you you know interact with them so they're more open to you know answer answering truthfully yeah. so that's great <laughs> yeah and especially in the realm of sexual health where people are already uh, not very comfortable talking about it or you know they may have some preconceived ideas or notions mm -hmm. about why they may be having a certain sexual health issue uh so i think uh sometimes it is not very comfortable for even a medical professional to ask it may come off as a rude or uh really uh you know an intimate question that they would be like scratching their head why my physio is asking me this question and actually, there is a very interesting story behind this, how I got into pelvic health. I've, I've not been practicing pelvic health ever since I graduated. I went into orthopedic physical therapy. And oh. that's where I was. Uh, I think pelvic health was kind of had just started making some waves uh, in uh, 2014, 2015, or maybe a little earlier than that. Um, and I was working as an orthopedic physical therapist, uh, and I saw a woman with a hip pain, which was not improving with whatever manipulations, exercises, uh, releases, stretches I did. And the woman herself was a, a physician assistant. So I could ask her some more intimate questions um, uh, that I learned at a, a, at a continued education course I was taking at that time. And I, I just basically at that at that time when I didn't have much experience of how to bring up these questions or talk about them, I just simply asked her, um, you know, do you mind if I ask you about uh, if you have any pain with sex or if you are having any leakage, urinary leakage? And her being in the medical field kind of helped helped me bring that guard down a little. So she she told me, funny you asked, uh, I actually do, and but I don't understand why you're asking me these questions. Even she couldn't put two and two together and could see how hip being so closely connected to the pelvic region uh, could be getting affected because of, the, of their sexual health issues. Um, so anyway, I didn't know how to treat her at that time. So I sent her to a pelvic uh, physical therapist uh, in, the, in, the, in the area. And she wrote to me a month later saying that she got better, actually. Her hip pain was a lot better. And at, oh, at that time, I decided I wanted to learn more about pelvic health and uh, decided to kind of do a little switch. So it is it is very interesting and important. Like, I don't think I asked her that question on the first visit or the second or the third visit. I think it was fourth or fifth visit when I was like, I don't know. This is not making sense. The pain is not getting mm -hmm. better. So I think we need to discuss this further or uh, dive deeper yeah and that's when I introduced that question so yeah that's great and you know what uh, you mentioned how you know deciding into being a you know physical therapist you didn't have that aha pivotal moment but you had that aha pivotal moment for being like <laughs> for pelvic dysfunction so that's yes. amazing that's great yes, totally. yes. <laughs> awesome <laughs> Yeah, yeah, good point. Yeah, I, I didn't realize that. But yeah, that was the, the pivotal point in my career, for sure. That's amazing. Very cool to hear. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. uh, moving away a little bit from that. Um, mm -hmm. So what is like the pelvic floor? And what are like some common signs of pelvic floor dysfunction? Because I'm sure that is like, you know, your specialization. So yeah, yeah, no, I know. I love that question because there is a lot of confusion about it. Uh, when it comes to pelvic floor, people only know one word, which is Kegels, which has been, you know, uh, popular for a very long time. And usually only older women or, or women after having a child uh, are considered, uh, uh, you know, that they need that pelvic floor strengthening program by doing Kegels. So, I think our our 
understanding was very limited in terms of what mm-hmm. uh, public health really uh, stands for or what public physios could do for not just women, but people across the uh, gender spectrum. So, uh, you know, pelvic floor is basically a group of muscles that is, uh, that is located um inside of the pelvic uh, bones and pelvic it's connecting the pubic bone in the front to the tailbone in the back and tailbone is the very end part of the spine it also connects to the sides of the pelvic uh, bones as well so uh, it's kind of like a wide structure it looks like a hammock or trampoline uh, connecting all these various parts of the pelvic bones um the function of the pelvic floor muscles is uh, supporting the pelvic organs, which are uh, bladder, uterus, and rectum in people with a vulva, and uh, bladder, prostate, and rectum in people with a penis. Uh, so these organs are basically supported and held in place by the help of these muscles. And uh, apart from this, uh, pelvic floor is also part of your core system. Usually when we talk about core, we generally think, oh, it's only your abdominal muscles, but pelvic floor at the bottom and the diaphragm at the top actually are also part of the core system. So the spinal stability or the way we keep our posture erect, uh, the way we you know, run or lift something heavy, the pelvic floor plays an important part in it. Um, pelvic floor also acts as a shock absorber when we are running, jumping, uh, you know, just walking generally. Uh, uh, it has a very important role in that. It also has a role in our sexual health because the muscles, uh, the pelvic floor muscles are also arranged in layer system. So the superficial muscles, which are more outer, present in a more outer fashion, they their function is to help with the arousal. They are also present at the entrance of the vagina, uh, which we call introitus. So opening and closing of the vagina is, you know, these muscles are responsible for that. And they also uh, support the anal opening. So anal sphincter is nothing but superficial pelvic floor muscles. So superficial pelvic floor muscles function as basically these guards, which are helping us stay continent and um, uh, and helping us with the arousal. The superficial muscles actually connect all the way to the clitoris as well. And when you're feeling arousal or when uh, you're actually reaching the orgasm or during the climax, these muscles actually go into this rhythmic contraction and relaxation pattern. So if these muscles are contracted or tight, uh, it could Some people can experience pain uh, during arousal, pain after reaching orgasm and stuff like that. And this was just for people uh, uh, with a vulva. Uh, These muscles also impact uh, people with a penis too, men. Uh, The superficial muscles, especially the bulbocavernosus is one of the muscles. It goes up to half shaft of the penis and plays an important role in erection. Until this muscle contracts, Uh, the blood that's pooling into the penis is not going to stay kind of locked in for the erection. So contraction of this muscle keeps the blood locked into the penis and helps with the erection. Uh, So sometimes if there is weakness in the muscles, uh, uh, I'm kind of going back and forth and I will talk about pelvic floor dysfunction in detail, but I'm just giving a few examples of the conditions that could be caused by uh, these muscles. So for example... Post-prostatectomy surgery, uh, if someone has uh, prostate cancer and their prostate was removed, uh, we train these superficial muscles of the pelvic floor uh, to not just maintain continence uh, uh, because they help clamp the urethra, but also uh, help with erectile dysfunction as well. So this is kind kind of an overview of what these muscles do there are many other functions as well, helping with the circulation, helping with the 
lymph circulation and all that stuff uh but uh, we don't have to go into details of all that so, yeah. <laughs> no but I think I think you kind of touched on everything we wanted and actually my next question mm -hmm. was going to be about you know common disorders conditions of the pelvic floor and uh what do you see in your experience that they actually can get mistaken for okay that's a very good question because this is something which we have been advocating for quite a bit. And, you know, on my social media platform, this is what I have to talk about a lot because usually when there is any itching, burning uh, sensation or pain, we have already like uh, these common ideas that come to our mind and we go see Maybe we go to an urgent care. We don't even go to a gynecologist who could do a proper testing on us. And we end up just taking antibiotics or uh, uh, we just sometimes don't even bother to go to the uh, uh, to the urgent care. And we just go to directly to CVS or pharmacy, local pharmacy, and just, uh, you know, grabbing uh, something over the counter for yeast infection and stuff like that. But a lot of times these conditions can get worse if you just self-treat mm -hmm. yourself like that because uh, you don't know if your condition is because of uh, muscles or you may be sometimes some of my patients that I see uh, uh, with vulvodynia they have used these uh, over-the-counter products which ended up giving them this uh, skin sensitivity which created the vulvodynia in the first place so you have to be very careful I'm not saying a blanket state statement that you should never use any over-the-counter products sometimes we do need and sometimes we know what we have but it's if you are experiencing something for the first time don't self-medicate and always check uh, with your gynecologist get the proper testing done a lot of times the dip test that uh, urgent care uh, doctors do uh, is not really uh, accurate because you're the urine sample you're giving may not be sterile or, you know, it can show a positive uh, infection while you actually don't have an infection and you end up taking antibiotics for no reason. Um, so I think th these are some of the things that we see very commonly that, oh, I uh, thought I had UTI or yeast infection for all these years, but now I'm learning that I didn't have that. After all, I had pelvic floor dysfunction because when these muscles are not working properly, they can give you a sense, a similar sensation of numbness, itching, burning, uh, pain, all kinds of different things, or urinary urgency or frequency, which is very common in UTI. So mm -hmm. this was just the overview or what I see in the clinic, but uh, let me just explain what pelvic floor dysfunction is after all. Pelvic floor dysfunction is basically in a nutshell when these pelvic floor muscles are not working optimally their function is kind of altered and why does that happen there could be several reasons for it but most commonly or most simplistically if i could explain just like any other muscle of the body let's say for example your biceps you know your biceps uh, when you are building muscles, you're going to the gym and you're like, oh, I like those, uh, uh, you know, a little bit of a curve in my arms. So you're just pumping your biceps, you're doing lifting weights and uh, doing all these exercises. But towards the end of the day, it's not like you will keep the, uh, the biceps in a bent elbow position all day long. You would want to bring your elbow back to the neutral position, which is the stretched out arm, right? So uh, we need the muscle needs to work in a contracted position, which help which helps bend the elbow, but also in a lengthened, stretched out position, which is when the elbow is completely straight. It's the same principle with pelvic floor muscles. They need to contract, but they also need to need to fully lengthen. The problem starts to happen when we don't realize that we are just contracting, contracting, contracting the muscle and the muscle becomes overactive or hyperactive that it's it carries more tension than uh normal or uh okay. or uh than what we need at rest and it just becomes over the period of time it becomes actually shortened now mm -hmm. we have a lot of blood vessels and uh nerves pudendal nerve is the is the main nerve in the region and so is pudendal artery these nerves, nerve and arteries uh, 
go through these different muscles of the pelvic floor. And if the pelvic floor is always so tense, it kind of starts irritating or pinching the nerves or the blood vessels as well. So if the muscles are super tight, what we call, uh, it can create a state of hypoxia, which is basically lack of blood supply and lack of oxygen uh, that goes towards these muscles. And that can further perpetuate this vicious cycle of tension, hypoxia, pain. Pain is a protective mechanism of our body. So it's going to trigger us to become even more tense and that more tense begets more pain. So we just kind of keep going into the cycle and the nerve issue doesn't start right away with pelvic floor dysfunction, but if it stays untreated, the nerve can get irritated. And most of the times that's when we, uh, uh, that's when patients experience this burning sensation, itching sensation, uh, stabbing pain with sitting, um, pain with sex, uh, pain with any kind of insertion, uh, they cannot go to the gynecologist because they cannot have the proper exam. Uh, they can also have pain with arousal, orgasm, and all whole nine yards. There are so many different things that can happen when the uh, muscle is not functioning well. Mm -hmm. Wow, I think that that sounds really painful. And I can definitely see how that can get like, mistaken for a UTI like super like easily you know yes. so I think that's something no, that like yeah so I could also divide like different just like how I said in the beginning that pelvic floor muscles function is uh to support the bladder the uterus the rectum uh prostate clitoris and penis so basically this is the entire uh these are the structures that uh the muscles are supporting so let's say uh, we can divide the fun the problems uh, according to each uh, organ system. So, for example, if the pelvic floor muscles are not working well, and we are talking about bladder, you people can experience urinary urgency, frequency, uh, some pain or burning with urination. Uh, they can also experience, uh, you know, leakage. Uh, generally speaking, people think if leakage is happening, there must be weakness. But if you have a really tense pelvic floor, it's again not going to properly close and open, and that can also cause leaking. Uh, sometimes some more serious conditions, for example, painful bladder syndrome or interstitial cystitis, are not properly diagnosed, and underlying issue is actually pelvic floor dysfunction. Um, and especially if pelvic, pelvic floor dysfunction is left untreated for a very long time, it can kind of start affecting the entire region, which may appear like something may, massive is going on or something. It, you, it seems like how can just this group of muscles can cause so much, so many issues or pain. So mm -hmm. uh, then we want more diagnosis. And again, like, as we know, our medical system is very silo based. So you go see a urologist, they will diagnose you with one condition, you see a gastroc, and they will, you know, diagnose you with one condition. So if there's, there's no integrated care as such. And that's why I think pelvic health physios, we are in a unique position, because we are kind of like taking information from all the systems and, you know, helping connect the dots. So we could actually help the patient in a better way and not just treat just one organ system, but an, you know, an entire individual. The same way if you're having any sexual health issues, for example, some of them I said, uh, vaginismus is commonly known a term for uh, painful intercourse or not being able to have intercourse. But uh, pelvic floor dysfunction is slightly different than vaginismus. There could be some overlapping there. But um, with vaginismus, there is an involuntary contraction, involuntary spasm. Like you're, you don't have any control over the muscles. You, you may be otherwise not having any pelvic pain or any other issues. You may not be chronically constipated or may not have any bladder issues. The only time you experience pain or contraction or spasm is when insertion is attempted of any kind, a tampon, a menstrual cup, a sex toy, or, you know, a speculum at the gynecologist's exam. 
or intercourse, you know. So it could be anything. This, the muscles are just like they go into an involuntary spasm. With pelvic floor dysfunction, on the other hand, the tension is always there. Like even at rest, if I'm sitting, if you test, you do an EMG study on the on the muscle electromyography, uh, pick up the the signals from the muscle, it would be more tense even at rest. So that's how we kind of differentiate between vaginismus and pelvic floor dysfunction. But because of pelvic floor dysfunction, you can have dyspareunia, which is painful sex. You can have uh, 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 pain with arousal and orgasm. Uh, so I think that's the basically uh, what I would talk about in terms of sexual health. Mm-hmm. I don't think if I'm missing anything, I, if it's, something comes back to my mind, I'll, I'll talk about it. And then GI health, uh, chronic constipation, uh, People, are, people will be constipated for years and years and they're like, okay, I've tried this diet and that diet and, <laughs> you know, this treatment and that treatment. And, you know, I've been on this medication and that medication and this laxative. And sometimes it is because of the pelvic floor dysfunction. You know, your pelvic floor is tight. It doesn't open up. You don't understand the urge. You, you are holding everything so tight that things just get pushed back up in the, in the system from rectum back to the sigmoid colon or descending colon. And the you know, the further, the longer the uh, the bowel movement stays in the colon, it's going to get more dehydrated, become pebble-like, and then the evacuation of uh, that pebbly uh, bowel movement is going to be even harder uh, through a tight pelvic floor. So, uh, so pelvic floor, uh, GI system-wise, that could be another another issue that we commonly see that could be related to the pelvic floor dysfunction. So I think I think I covered it system wise uh, what different things could be happening. Mm-hmm. Wow! Oh, a... Yes, there. One more thing. Sorry, I uh, didn't talk about. A lot of times, people experience back pain or uh, okay. lower abdominal pain or even tailbone pain, thinking mm-hmm. that something is going on with the spine or something is off with the hip. Uh, but a lot of times, again, because pe- the co- uh, the pelvic floor is a pa- is part of the core and spine, hip. Sometimes even foot issues could be from the pelvic floor or vice versa. So orthopedically speaking, when I was just an orthopedic physical therapist and I did not have a lot of understanding of the pelvic floor, I think I probably must have missed uh, treating some of these patients fully. Uh, Thankfully, I asked the hip pain patient I was seeing if she had some other pelvic Mm -hmm. floor issues, but uh, Mm -hmm. some patients with tailbone pain or uh, buttock pain or you know, hip pain could be having pelvic floor dysfunction as the underlying reason for their pain. So it should be assessed, treated properly. Wow. Yeah, I think there's so many things that I didn't realize that so many things could be connected to like the pelvic floor and just the pelvic area in general, because I feel like that's something that people don't really talk about so I think that's really interesting to hear that there's so many things that like the root of the cause is like the pelvis or like that area yeah and so you know on the topic of you know sex life like how could a pelvic PT help someone have a better sex life so many ways just like how I said how pelvic floor dysfunction could be at the bottom of uh, some of the sexual issues Um, so proper assessment uh and again like you know pelvic floor physios could go into their own silos as well like oh everything is muscular everything is in that little region so uh we have to be careful that you know we want to make sure that everything else is ruled out that there is nothing else is going on nerve wise some so for example uh there is a condition called persistent genital arousal disorder and i am I really want to talk about this condition because uh, people, there's a lot of talk already happening about vaginismus and painful sex, etc. But PGAD is still under the shadows. Women who are experiencing this, they're extremely embarrassed to talk about it. And they're constantly dismissed. It's basically experiencing a sense of arousal at all times when you're not actually aroused. So this happens because of, this could happen because of issues 
directly at the clitoris. If there is an, uh, you know, structural issue happening, there is some infection or adhesion sometimes are formed uh, under the hood of the clitoris uh, or because of some hormonal issues that could cause this constant sensation. And it's really intrusive and invasive feeling because you, you, you would be working and trying to just get by the day and you know uh, in your office and you have this constant reminder that you're aroused and it does not go away with masturbation or just taking care of it you just cannot take care of it so it's it's really really distressing and disturbing and most of the times when these patients go see their doctors the doctors quickly tell them oh good for you oh this should be nice or you know it's really sad how you know these women are treated so when they hear things like this and they don't get the courage to talk about this condition with anybody else may and there may there are excellent uh healthcare providers doctors who study pgad or help women with pgad but they they just get shut shut down by some uh, uh some doctors that they see in the beginning and they never talk about it again so Coming back to it, so for example, PGAD could be because of the clitoral issues right at the structure, at, at the very end, or as we call the end organ problem. It could be because of the pelvic floor issue. It could be because of the pedendal nerve issue. It could be happening up at the level of the spine where the cauda equina is. And as the pedendal nerve is coming through those nerve roots, if there is something happening uh, at the level of L5-S1, there is some discarniation at L4, L5, L5-S1. These women could also experience uh, some PGAD sometimes. So it is, or ultimately, you know, the fifth reason for PGAD could be the brain itself. So understanding what is causing the condition, uh, a proper assessment is so important. And obviously, we are, pelvic physios are mostly, you know, we know the, the musculoskeletal system so well. Uh, if something doesn't make any sense to us, we need to refer back to them to the right providers so they can be taken care of properly. So, no, definitely. Thank you so much for mentioning a condition like that. I'm amazed that something like that even exists. And, yes. you know, I've yeah. never heard of something like that before. And, you know, growing up in a, you know, South Asian family community, um, conversations about sexual health or sexual wellness were non-existent (laughs) and you know it's a it's considered more of like a taboo and I think you know in the generations coming including our generation we're you know thankfully being more open about it discussing it more understanding that you know it is something that it is important to be you know, talked about. Uh, So going off of that, you know, I'm sure in your experience of being a, you know, physical therapist and uh, helping with pelvic floor dysfunction and pelvic issues, you know, you've met a diverse range of patients, but how, you know, how knowledgeable have you observed uh, South Asian women to be about pelvic health uh, and, you know, pelvic floor dysfunction and things like that? I think I would just just talk about women in general. It's they're not aware, and it's not just a general population. Uh, the medical community itself is not very well aware of pelvic health physical therapy, and I think it's a huge disservice to a huge population who could be helped by you know uh, by just simple exercises. You know, and these women just go untreated for years and years. Again, like, you know, I have heard so many stories from these women who, you know, find me or my other colleagues or friends, you know, uh, that they have been looking for answers for such a long time. And, you know, they finally found a solution, which was, you know, which was not such a crazy idea, but like just muscles. Yes, they can cause an issue. But since nobody talked about it, their situation becomes chronic and then it becomes really difficult to treat. So... I think the primary care doctors, the pediatricians, because again, a condition like endometriosis may start earlier as soon as you get your period and you're missing school uh, for missing um, uh, for because of excruciating pain during the period. And you're constantly told, oh, welcome to womanhood. You're going to have mm. you're going to have to suffer. Pain is part of your life now. And we are constantly shut down. No, pain is OK. Pain is OK. Pain is OK. Oh, not you. You can't really handle it here birth control pills and you know so 
we're we're just masking the symptoms you know we're not really assessing exactly what is causing that issue so primary care doctors pediatricians gynecologists whoever is the primary doctors for these conditions they need to become aware of how these women or men could be best helped you know or urologists you know uh, and send them for the best uh, best possible care so uh not just South Asian women. I think I have seen, I'm I'm actually pretty blown away by the fact that growing up in India in a conservative society, I always looked up to the Western medicine thinking, oh, they are so far ahead. You know, they are really mm-hmm. taking care of women. And, you know, I just recently found out a couple of years ago that uh, NIH didn't consider women uh, to be important as part of uh the uh the research research subjects you know i think it was ni- some sometime in 1990s when nih said oh you know we should conduct studies on women too they should be part of the studies as well wow. and it was not until 2003 or 4 i could be wrong but somewhere in the in the early uh 2000s uh when nih considered uh gender as a variable it's to study it as a variable in different studies so most of the things that are being w- women are being treated was what these studies were done on Caucasian males. So, you know, it just it doesn't yeah. make sense, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it um, definitely doesn't. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, in as far as South Asian communities are concerned, I think we are I really like the idea of what social media is doing. And it has definitely negative uh effects of it too. But I think everyone. So I'm going to talk about not South Asians who are in the US. I'm talking about South Asians back home in India, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, Bangladesh, and all all these countries where because of the social media, they are opening up. They're like, okay, there is help available. They may not have access to these facilities yet. Uh, A lot of Indian women approach me and they're like, oh, I have we have these issues and we don't know where to go. Mm-hmm. So there is definitely uh, awareness coming, but I think a lot of work that needs to be done. And uh, obviously the culture is such that there is a lot of patriarchy as well, where women are constantly being blamed for if there is if the sexual relationship is not good, uh, it's very quickly blamed on the woman. So I think... We need to I thank you guys for creating this podcast or this space for for women to hear and, uh, you know, understand that these issues are for real and they are not to be blamed so they can start seeking help. So, I mean, definitely there is a delta in the awareness level uh, in South Asian community versus other communities. Uh, but I just generally find, uh, you know, just generally pelvic health uh, is not well understood anywhere you know across the communities i think that's you know i you know thank you for saying that but i you know it's just so crazy how they didn't even include women that is so crazy to me yeah i can't believe they did but they didn't consider it was important you know they so they thought it was important only in the 90s (laughs) so uh (laughs) Oh, maybe there's a difference between how a yeah. woman and a man reacts. Oh, <laughs> maybe we should look into that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what a new yeah. That's really crazy. Yep. That is Absolutely. crazy. Yeah. Um, and I think kind of going back to the whole, like, um, you know, the gynecologist thing. So how, how do you think that, like, someone should determine, like, should I go to a gyno? Should I go to a PT? Like, what do you think is, like, the biggest, like, differentiation when making that decision for yourself? Because obviously you want to you know, get to the root of the problem, like, as fast as you can, you know, so. No, that's a very good question. And again, like, you know, it could be, there is no straight answer to this. Although in US, all 50 states uh, offer direct access to physical therapists. So you could technically go uh, talk to a physical therapist right away and get assessed. And a physical therapist could tell at that time, oh, your muscles are fine. I think you need to see your, uh, there's nothing that I can do. I think this needs to be further assessed and addressed by a medical doctor. So we we do this all the time. I have had a few patients who would, uh, uh, you know, kind of come to me. It's like, oh, I read something about pelvic pain or, you know, uh, 
some dryness itching sensation that could happen because of pelvic floor dysfunction so i wanted to just make sure that i know about my muscles and uh you know so they come and i teach them about their pelvic floor muscles and i tell them how to take care of the pelvic floor muscles and uh out they go they don't really need to come back to me and i tell them like go see your gynecologist or continue seeing your gynecologist if you're already seeing for a b or c reasons so that's one way for sure. But then you could also, you know, you should always talk to your gynecologist. But if they are not familiar with pelvic physical therapist, I would just find another doctor because I think the best care is when it's in an interdisciplinary team and when doctors and PTs and dietitians and all kinds of healthcare providers work together. No, I definitely agree. Sure. And, you know, Going a little bit uh, back to the previous question, so touching on, you know, culturally competent care. So why do you believe it's important that, you know, just overall that someone in your field has knowledge of people from other cultures, not just South Asian women? And how do you ensure, you know, culturally competent care with uh, women you that come see you that may have, you know, pre-existing ideas of what they can and cannot say and how how much they can re reveal? Yes, uh, another great question. And I love talking about it because uh, health is not just biomedical. Health is biopsychosocial. And now there is another term that they are kind of merging into is spiritual. So it needs to address every aspect of your life. So cultural beliefs, ideas, how you grew up, form our ideas about sex especially or about our health especially our lifestyle is going to be determined how we were brought up culturally so having that basic understanding is important for all the medical professionals because sometimes we could come we could be very closed off uh, in our understanding towards a certain culture and may come across very judgmental or you know uh, not opening to listening to someone's issues so i think as a healthcare provider it doesn't matter if it's a physio or a gynecologist or anyone else i think we our best job our most important job is to create a safe space for people who are coming to us so they can talk about anything and as one of the things that we talk about and a phrase that is commonly used by physical therapists is there is no such thing as TMI. There is nothing mm -hmm. too much information when you're coming to see us. We're going to be asking you about your poop. We're going to be asking you about your <laughs> pee. We're going to be talking mm -hmm. about your sex, sex positions, your partner or whatnot. But obviously, we're going to give you that space, time to open up about those things and uh you know, obviously, the inner feminist inside me is going to be like, oh, no, you shouldn't be doing this or that. And you are today's woman. And, you know, don't put up with this shit. You know, I, you know, but no, I have to be respectful who is sitting in front of me. And I have to see where they are coming from and what they are seeking out of that consultation. Uh, you know, I can put on my robe of feminism later on if they are willing to talk about that and they show me a little sign that they could be and then I can encourage them like hey no you have your partner needs to be involved in this and sometimes we do physical therapy uh, teaching partners as well uh, for example you know how they could help uh, their spouse or their partner to achieve better sex life or you know I'm just talking about sex here in general but so yeah, I mean there are lots of ama amazing partners who want to be part of their uh part of the journey of, you know, to help their partners. I think I'm, I've said the partner word a lot. lot <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's amazing you, you know, you kind of touched on the fact that there's no such thing as TMI because, you know, kind of going back to South Asian women, I have experiences where um I will discuss, you know, with other South Asian women I know that you know they're outlook on in the healthcare field, will they prefer to go to someone else who's South Asian or would they prefer to go to someone who's not? And I will have women tell me that I only ever want a South Asian woman to help me because I'm a South Asian woman and I know that I can discuss everything a lot more 
openly and that maybe they'll even understand where I'm coming from. And then I will have women tell me that I never want to go to a South Asian woman because maybe they were they raised would judge a bit me. more. They, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. So the, maybe the, their outlook is that, oh, they're the person across from me maybe was re- is really, really conservative and mm-hmm. they'll judge me. And then who knows, maybe they'll, you know, they'll spread. And it's not wrong, it, actually. You know, I just recently found out that a, a patient of mine who has uh, who is in terrible pelvic pain, she saw went to see a doctor and the doctor lectured her for having sex before marriage. And I could not believe it. Exactly. I could not believe it. Like that I mean, happened. It's believable, but still, still to this day, it's, it's, crazy. it's I was like, what? Like, and yes, and I was just so angry, but there was no point of showing a lot of anger anger i mean i just you know in those cases when such such things happen you have to really be it's it's very important to like again give them the space that they can express their anger right. their emotions so mm-hmm. i don't overwhelm them with my own emotions or what i feel about a certain situation uh, i could be thinking i'm a, i'm a human lots of emotions do come inside but i have i am a medical professional at that time so I have to kind of like hold my, myself back and really give them that safe feeling of safety that they could talk about anything with me. And I think that's what that's how I try like to maintain some form of cultural competence, not just with my South Asian patients, but with other cultures as well. At, with my best abilities, I'm sure I falter here and there. Yeah. No, but that's amazing. And, you know, I think that's what we all strive to have in a healthcare professional we're going to see. So that's great. <laughs> and I learned so much today. Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very happy we talked about these things. Uh, so important. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's all the time we have today for our episode. But um, I hope everyone listening enjoyed our conversation with Dr. Mukta Chauhan on pelvic health and the important role of physical therapy in sexual wellness. Yes, it was an amazing conversation. And I'm sure our listeners learned as much as I did. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I want to thank Dr. Chauhan for speaking with us today. Um, I think... You know, I learned a lot of things and um, I really appreciate you, you know, coming on this podcast and sharing all of your knowledge with us. Yep, I'm, I'm very happy we did this as well. So thank you for having me. No, it's been a great yeah. experience. And to our listeners, if you have any questions or feedback on today's episode, or if there's a topic you'd like us to cover in a future episode, be sure to reach out to us on social media. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if anyone listening, if you liked today's episode, make sure to follow us on whatever platform you're listening to us on. And yeah, until next time, this is Mushri and Priya signing off. Take care. Stay safe, guys.